Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Welcome back to Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole, and today's going to be a fun episode. Today, we're going to talk about how you could potentially save tens of thousands more dollars in taxes through a better giving strategy. Not by giving more, but just by using a different strategy in how you do it. And it's going to be fun because we're going to actually use a case study. So I got some feedback from listeners that rather than just addressing financial topics and giving information, which is very valuable, but actually working through a case study might be helpful. So you can start to see how you can apply certain principles to your own financial situation by using someone else's example. So that's what we're going to do. I'm, of course, going to admit names, but these are real case studies that I've actually worked through with clients, and I think it'll be helpful. Now, if you don't do any charitable giving just on the front end of this, this particular episode probably won't be relevant to you. So I'll save you some time on the front end that there's plenty of other great episodes that you can tune into. But the specific goal for this episode is to understand how a better charitable giving strategy could potentially save you thousands and tens of thousands of dollars in taxes over the course of your retirement. So just a little bit of background on this. New tax law took effect in 2018. So what that new tax law did, among other things, was it raised the standard deduction. And for a married couple this year in 2020, the standard deduction is $24,800. If you're both over 65, it's actually $27,400. And if you're single and under that age, it's, it's half of that. So just for the sake of simplicity, what I'm going to do is I'm going to assume the number of $24,800. So that will be the number that I'm using for the standard deduction as we walk through this different example or through this example here. So let's jump right in. What is a standard deduction? Well, the standard deduction, what the IRS says is they say you can deduct things like mortgage interest, you can deduct charitable contributions, you can deduct state and local taxes up to a cap of $10,000, and you can add all those things up. And if all those things added up is greater than $24,800, then that's the number that you use for your deductions. And that would be called your itemized deductions if all of those numbers add up to more than $24,800. If it's less than $24,800, though, that's 2020's number, then the IRS says you can just use a standard deduction, which is nice. So if you add all those numbers up and it only comes out to $10,000, the IRS says you still get a standard deduction of $24,800. If you only have $5,000 of total itemized deductions, the IRS says you still get your standard deduction of $24,800. So when they raised standard deductions a couple years back, we had a shift. And the shift that happens was prior to raising deductions, the standard deduction, about 30% of the population would itemize their deductions, which means they didn't use the standard deduction because the total deductions they had was greater than that amount. So they would itemize. After the new tax law, though, only about 10% of the population itemizes because the standard deduction is higher. So fewer and fewer people have enough deductions to add up and exceed that standard deduction amount. So why does this matter? Well, it, it matters because if you give, so this could be charitable giving that you do in cash. This could be giving that you do through contributions to Goodwill, really the combination of all of those. And if you give and if your total deductions, so also including things like mortgage interest and things like state and local taxes, and there's other deductions as well, but those are the three big ones. If your deductions don't exceed 24,800, then you're actually not getting to deduct anything that you give. So even if you're giving five, 10, $15,000 per year in charitable contributions, if you're still using the standard of deduction, you're technically not deducting any of the giving that you're doing. So if your total deductions are anywhere between $0 and $24,800, it 
your total deduction is still the same 24,800. So I want to make sure I'm making that, that point on the front end. So now onto our case study. Why does that matter? And, and again, this is a case study because this is actual examples and I actually see it quite a bit. If you are giving and you, you meet kind of somewhat of the example I'm going to describe, this could be a very valuable exercise for you. So with this case study, here, here was an example of some work that I did. I had a, a couple clients, 60 years old each, and they were giving about $12,000 per year. This was giving to their church. It was giving to a, a couple of other charities and they were giving $12,000 per year. Now this couple, they also owned a home and the home that they owned, there was no mortgage. They had paid it off. So they still paid property taxes, but they didn't have any mortgage. And let's just assume for the sake of simplicity, their tax bracket was 25%. And let's assume, you know, we, we never know, but let's assume this couple has a 30 year long retirement. So as I was approaching work with this client, one of the first things I looked at for their tax strategy was what are their total deductions? The first thing I looked at was giving. And as I just mentioned, they were doing giving of $12,000 per year. And that was pretty consistent year in and year out. The second thing I looked at was the combination of their state and local taxes. So between their property taxes and their state income taxes, they were paying about $25,000 per year in total state and local taxes. Now, as I mentioned, another feature of the tax law change in 2018 was capping what you call SALT, state and local taxes. So SALT taxes, state and local taxes, they're now capped at $10,000, which means even if you pay $100,000 or $200,000 in state taxes and property taxes, you can only deduct $10,000. That's the cap. So if you live in a place where home values are pretty high, and if you live in a place where income taxes are pretty high, like California is, more often than not, you're going to exceed that $10,000 cap, even just on your property, if you own a home here in California. And then any state income taxes you pay on that, what that essentially means is that can't be deducted. Because once you hit that $10,000 cap, nothing above that can be deducted. So back to this client, they were paying $25,000 in taxes, but they could only deduct $10,000. And then the next thing we look at is mortgage interest. So when you're paying a mortgage, the only portion that, that you're able to deduct is not the principal that you're paying. It's just the interest on that mortgage payment. Their home was paid off, so they didn't have any mortgage interest. So going back to their total deductions, when we add up their giving of 12,000, their state and local taxes, which were capped at 10,000, their mortgage interest, which was zero, their total deductions in this case were $22,000. So that looks great. They, they, they were thinking that all along that that was the number that they were able to deduct on their tax return. And so that the giving that they were doing, and obviously you don't do giving just for the tax benefit. The giving was because of other purposes, but you, you do want to make sure you get a tax benefit if possible. But their total deductions were 22000 Well, what does that mean? As we just mentioned, if your total deductions are less than 24800 you're not taking those as a deduction. You're taking your standard deduction. So in this case, they've been taking their standard deduction of 24800 now, let's assume that this couple lives for 30 years, and let's, let's assume that they also continue giving $12,000 per year. Well, over 30 years, that's a total of $360,000 that they've given. That's, that's a lot of great work that they're doing. They're giving a lot of money. But here's the catch side, or here's the catch to that. Zero of those dollars are actually deductible. They gave $360,000 over the course of their lifetime, over the course of their retirement, I should say, but they weren't able to actually deduct any of it because they would use their standard deduction. And that comes to a shock as a lot of people to hear that they could give $360,000 and not actually be able to deduct any of it, but it happens more frequently than you would think. So what do we do for this couple? There, you know, there, there's a couple strategies, but they were in a position where they had different 401ks, Roth IRAs, uh, a, a trust account, which is just essentially an investment account. And what we did 
was instead of them continuing to give $12,000 per year and for the, the rest of their retirement, like they had been doing, what we did as part of our strategy was we opened something called a donor advised fund. And what a donor advised fund is, is it's almost like your own private foundation. And if you, know, if you have a private foundation, typically if you're very wealthy, you establish a private foundation. And what that is, is it's a separate entity and you can make contributions to it. And then you essentially control to some extent where those contributions ultimately go to and what causes they support. But private foundations are costly. It takes a whole lot to administer them. And typically, unless you have a significant amount of wealth, you're not going to set one up. The benefit of a donor advised fund is it's similar where it's an account that you set up, you get a charitable deduction for making a contribution to it, and then those funds are actually invested. And at your discretion, you can make requests for the funds inside of there to be granted to, to certain charities of your choosing. So the nice thing about this is with this specific client that we did this with is instead of continuing to give $12,000 per year, not get the tax deduction, we said, let's, let's make a big lump sum contribution. So from their investment account, we actually took about $100,000 and we took that and we contributed it to the donor advised fund. Now, this did a couple of things. Number one, they immediately got to take a significant tax deduction for that contribution. Now, anything that you give to a donor advised fund, you can deduct up to 60% of it. So in this case, the client, their, their annual income was about $100,000 from their investments and different sources of income. So they couldn't deduct the whole 100,000, but they could deduct about 60% of it or 60,000 of it which dropped their tax bill significantly in the year they made it. And then they were able to carry forward the other tax deductions. So you can carry forward that up to five years so that you continue to reap those benefits. Now, with that, once the funds were inside the donor advised funds, they actually were able to be invested. Now, it was an irrevocable contribution, so they couldn't pull that money back out and use it. But they then had the power or the ability to be able to direct where those contributions went to. So the first year, they were able to contribute that same $12,000 to their church and other charities that they cared about. The remaining funds, though, they stayed in the donor advised fund. And not, did they, not only did they stay there, but they were actually invested. And so they could continue to grow for the client. The second year, they took another $12,000 and they contributed that to, again, to the same charities. The difference here is that that contribution, it didn't have to come out of their cash flow. That was a contribution they already made. It was a contribution they already got a deduction for. And instead of pulling $12,000 from their IRAs or their investment accounts, it came from their donor advised fund. So their next eight to 10 years or so of contributions, that was set aside up front and that allowed them to make their charitable contributions at their discretion. And it didn't require them to take any money from their current cash flow for the next several years. And the money that they contributed actually got to continue growing tax-free. So it's a win-win situation for them. So in their situation, again, if we're assuming that they're in a 25% tax bracket, then by making a $100,000 contribution to the donor advised fund, that's going to save them $25,000 in taxes. So put $100,000 in, you're in a 25% tax bracket, it saves you 25% of that. So that's great because in the prior scenario, they had $0 that they were able to deduct. So the nice thing about that is that allowed them to do to continue doing their giving. And that was projected to last for about another eight to 10 years or so, depending on how the funds in the donor advised fund grow. And then at that point, we had another calendar, we would revisit it. If, if they had given the entirety of their donor advised fund, we'd revisit their, their giving strategy and determine, do they make another $100,000 contribution or, or some amount of a contribution eight to 10 years down the road? So they could once again take advantage of one big tax benefit as opposed to slowly but surely continuing to give and not getting any tax benefit for it at all. 
So if we go through this process or say someone goes through this process two to three times, maybe even four times throughout the course of their retirement, that could potentially save you 50 to 75 to $100,000 in taxes over the course of your retirement that you otherwise would not have been able to save. And again, the beauty of this is it's not requiring you to give anymore. It's not requiring you to come out of pocket anymore. It's just doing your giving in a smarter way and in a way that's going to get you maximum tax deductions as opposed to the original strategy, which is just the default strategy that most people rely on, which is just giving each year out of normal cash flow. So let's, go, let's understand when this strategy might make sense for you and when it doesn't necessarily make sense. When does it make sense? So ideally, if you're doing this, and as we mentioned before, you're doing some decent amount of planned giving already. Ideally, probably in the eight to $10,000 per year range or more, but there's definitely times when, when it makes sense, even if you're making or giving less. Another thing ideally that you have is, is ideally you have no mortgage or a small mortgage. The reason this matters, this has nothing to do with giving, but if you remember from our standard deduction example, if you have a larger mortgage, then you're able to deduct the interest expense that you're paying or the interest payments that you're making. And if you have a larger mortgage and you're able to deduct that interest expense, well, between that and your state taxes and any given that you're doing, you're probably already itemizing your deductions. You're probably above the standard deduction threshold, so it doesn't really make sense to do this. It's when you have no mortgage or a smaller mortgage and you're under that standard deduction threshold, that's when it makes more sense. Also, you want to make sure that you're in a medium to a high tax bracket. If you give a lot, but you're in a very low tax bracket, either because you have low income or the nature of your income is tax-free or not taxed very high, then planned giving is great, but it's just not going to save you much in taxes because you're, you're not paying much to start with. So if you do a fair amount of giving, if you have no mortgage or a small mortgage, if you're in a medium to a high tax bracket, then that, that, that's, that's a good case where you could definitely explore this and see if it might make sense for you. And in certain cases, it can save, like I said, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes over the course of your retirement. When doesn't it make sense? Well, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense if you're looking at this. And well, as I mentioned, just the obvious, if you don't do a lot of planned giving, if you do have a high mortgage or if you're in a low tax bracket, we just talked about that. But also if all of your investments are really in an IRA or a Roth IRA. So if you don't have much money that's in cash or a, a regular non-retirement investment account, sometimes this strategy can be tough because if you're looking to make, say, a $100,000 contribution to a donor-advised fund, like I mentioned here, if you're doing that by pulling $100,000 out of your IRA, it's, it's defeating the purpose because whatever you pull out of that is, is taxable. So you're getting the tax deduction, but that's more than offset by the taxes you're now having to pay on your IRA distribution. So ideally, you have investments that you can access or cash that you can access that is not uh, going to force you to pay a whole bunch in taxes. Now, one interesting thing, and I'll cover this later, is donor advised funds are, are pretty robust in terms of what you can donate to them. You can, you can donate property, real estate that has a low basis, meaning maybe it was purchased years ago at a low cost and today it's worth much more. You can donate things like that and that makes a good candidate for giving just because you get to take advantage of the deduction based on the value of the property and you don't have to sell that property or that asset, which would incur a lot of taxes before you make a cash contribution. So ideally, uh, you, you have some asset that you're donating to the donor advised fund that's not in an IRA or a Roth IRA. When else doesn't it make sense? Well, we just talked about it. If you don't do much charitable giving, charitable giving is great, but if that's just not part of what you want to do or part of your strategy, then this is probably isn't going to work out very well for you. Or if, if you would itemize your deductions even without charitable giving, like we talked about, that's probably because you have some mortgage 
or it could be some other factor. As I mentioned, there are other deductions that I haven't talked about. I'm just talking about the three big ones, which are mortgage interest, state and local taxes, and charitable giving. But if you have other deductions that, that aren't included in those, and you would itemize because those deductions are high, then this strategy might not make more sen- make sense. It's, it's mainly for people that would take the standard deduction and also do charitable giving with no other factors included. So what other additional benefits exist in there? So that was kind of a high level, high level overview. One of the biggest benefits, like I mentioned, is you can donate appreciated stock to donor advised funds. So let's say you bought Apple stock 20 years ago, and it's got a super low cost basis. It, meaning if as a low cost basis between what you purchased it for and what the value is today, if you sell that fund or if you sell that stock, you pay taxes on all the gain. Well, if you donate that appreciated stock, what you get is you get the deduction worth the full value of that stock that was donated and you don't have to sell it. So it's kind of a win-win. Another benefit, I talked about this before, but donor advised funds can grow for you. So say you have a big income year, you have a lot of income coming in, you're trying to figure out how do I shelter some of this income now? Well, you could make a significant contribution to a donor advised fund to write off a significant portion of your income and you don't have to donate that money right away. So say maybe you haven't done the research on exactly where you want to send that money, but you do know that you want charitable giving to be part of your future and part of your your ongoing strategy. You can make a big contribution, let that money be invested, ideally grow for you. And then when you are ready and you've done more research and understand where you want to send it, then you could start making gifts from your donor advised fund. Another thing is you can control the timing of funding. I'll see this sometimes maybe the year before you retire. Let's say you have a high income or let's say you're selling a business. In years that you have higher income, those are good years to fund all or a portion of your donor advised funds because that's when you can take the tax deduction and then carry forward any amount that you can't deduct. And then you can take money out in later years where you don't necessarily need a tax deduction, but you're using those years to pull funds from the donor advised fund to do the giving for you. The nice other thing about this is this opens up a ton of other possibilities for additional tax planning. So going back to the example, the case study we worked through. Let's say this couple, their income was $100,000 and they could deduct 60,000 of it this year because that's the limit of what could be deducted from your adjusted gross income for charitable contributions to donor advised funds. Well, all of a sudden their income, their taxable income went from 100,000 to 40,000. Well, that's great just right there, but it also opens up other possibilities. Can we look to do Roth conversions? Can we do other tax planning? Can we realize certain gains in that year because that puts them in a lower tax bracket it opens up a whole myriad of other opportunities as well, which is one of the main main benefits. And one other thing, which I mentioned, I said we get more to, but donor advised funds can accept and administer contributions of illiquid assets. So whether that's privately held stock, so that shares of C corporations or S corporations or LLCs that are privately held, real estate, alternative investments, other more complex assets, those can be donated and you write the full value of that up to the, the adjusted gross income limits. And that makes for some really nice, flexible planning opportunities. So there's other options too. So so for some people, if you're listening to this and saying, that's great, but committing to $100,000 sounds like a lot, James. That's a lot of money to, to, to put away. There's other more simple versions of doing the same thing. Even if it just comes down to, say, lumping charitable contributions every other year. If this client that I was working through this with said, James, this makes sense, but we just don't want to commit $100,000. We don't want to tie that up. Or maybe, like I said, all their money maybe was in IRAs or 401ks, and it didn't make sense to pull out $100,000 to fund this. What they could do instead is lump their charitable contributions. Instead of contributing $12,000 each year, what they would do is one year they put that $12,000 in a separate bank account, 
And then the next year, they would contribute 24,000. And so every other year, they doubled their contribution. So the same amount of giving was done, but every other year, they were able to deduct that because they would add that 24,000 to the $10,000 of, of uh, state and local taxes they were paying, which would allow them to itemize deductions and deduct more than the standard deduction. So every other year, that would have been a tax deduction for them, and it didn't require any upfront giving. So that's all I got for today's episode. I would love to hear your feedback. If this is helpful to actually work through a case study, as opposed to just listening to different information and, and kind of under, trying to understand how do you apply that to your situation, let me know. Head over to the Ready for Retirement website, which is can be found at readyforretirement.co. And there's something on there that says submit a question, but you can also use that to just submit feedback. Let me know if this is helpful or not helpful. I want to make sure this show is as valuable as possible for you. So if you've not done so already, please subscribe. You can find the show on Spotify, on, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are available. Make sure that you're subscribing so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to episode number 17 of the Ready for Retirement podcast. To see the show notes and the resources from today's episode, please head over to the Ready for Retirement website. It can be found at readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show. A new episode is released each week, and by subscribing, you'll be notified each time that happens. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a review. A review would help more people to find it and really enjoy hearing what you all think. And this show is designed to answer your questions about retirement. So if you have a question, please submit that. There's a, there's a section on the readyforretirement.co website called Submit a Question or Ask a Question, and you can submit a question that we'll respond to in a future episode. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.